Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Luke. And uh, we are in our series um, through uh, To Seek and to Save. That's why we have the Superman theme. We kind of stole the graphics off of Superman. And so we've been going through a series. And of course, the title is The Son of Man. Seeking to save the Son of Man. And Luke is writing. We've talked about this every week, but if this is your first week or maybe you haven't caught on yet, um, the theme of the Son of Man, that Luke is trying to prove who the Son of Man that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would be the Messiah that would come to deliver his people. Luke is laying out who this Son of Man is, that it's Jesus. And that Jesus is the Son of Man that was talked about. He's the Son of Man that's going to redeem his people. And the theme verse for Luke is Luke 19.10, where Luke says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus came because he recognized that from Genesis chapter 3, mankind was lost. That mankind chose to rebel against God. And if you read through Genesis chapter 3 and you actually take some time to study it or think about it, you'll see that all the same problems that we deal with today, all the same questions that we have for God, all the roots of our hearts that kind of spread out, spread out from that Genesis chapter 3 chapter and kind of just finger out to get worse and worse and worse. And so Jesus is coming back and God sent the prophets, he sent Moses, he sent people in the Old Testament to remind people that God was going to save them, that they could place their faith in God's ability to save them. That's what the sacrificial system was and all of that. It wasn't making sacrifices and doing all those things actually saved you. It was the fact that you're looking to God to save you and that he asks you to do this thing. And so you do it going, well, I don't know exactly what this means, but he's asked me to do it. So I will to honor him, not believing that this will fix things, but believing that God is good, that he has a purpose in what he's telling me. And now Jesus has arrived. He's entered into time and space. The God man, God himself has placed himself in a human body so that he could pay the penalty, the payment that we owe for the sin that we, and the penalty that we deserve for the sin that we've committed against God. Which is exactly what Genesis chapter 3 talks about. That someday there would be one who would come from the seed of man who would crush the head of the serpent, the enemy, that death and sin and would make things right. And so Luke is writing that and he's saying, look, you thought that the son of man was going to come. And that he was going to overthrow the Romans. See, the Jews of their day thought, well, we're the best. We're awesome. And so God's going to bless us. And they redefined what the term blessed meant, by the way. And God's going to come. He's going to overthrow our enemies so that we can sit on top. And then we can be bosses to everyone else. That's what they truly believed. But they missed the part where God said that they were to lay down their lives and make all the nations know who he was through the way they lived their lives. And then to trust God to judge, not they were going to be the ones that brought swords and judge with the Messiah. Because of that, they missed who Jesus was. Most of the Jews rebelled, did not listen, and missed who Jesus was because their theology, that means what you believe about God, was so twisted. And they were so embedded in their hearts of who this Messiah should be, what he should give me, what he should do for me. They couldn't embrace the truth of who Jesus was in the Old Testament who he was when he came to earth, and then what the writers of the New Testament said he would be like when he comes back. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. And Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now the question is, do we even believe we're lost? Because if we don't believe we're lost, then we don't believe we need saving, right? How many of you never think you need directions? I'm not lost, I'm just taking a different route today, right? 
I admit, I get lost all the time. I'm the most directionally challenged human being you'll ever ride with. Ask anyone who's ridden with me or gone on a trip with me. It's scary. If you fall asleep, we may be in another state. Sorry. I'm just driving. I'm enjoying the ride, just enjoying my time in the car. It's wonderful, you know. And then my wife wakes up and she's like, you're 20. How did we get here? Like, she looks at the map and she's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I've been having fun driving, though. And so Jesus came because he recognizes that people are like me. We just get lost. We just kind of go with the flow of life. And then all of a sudden, we wake up one day and we realize I'm so far off track. And so what we're going to look at today as we dive into Luke is who appointed me judge? Who appointed me judge? Now, there's a, that's a loaded question. Number one, who's the one that appoints? Who's the me we're talking about? And what kind of judge are we talking about? That's a loaded question. But this is probably the question of our day. Because we live in a time and a period where if you make a judgment, you're automatically labeled all kinds of things. You're a terrible person. You're an awful person. You're not a Christian. You're not like Jesus. You're labeled all these things because you just made a judgment call. Because you made a decision. And listen, you make judgments all day long. Every day. Many of you right now are trying to determine and make a judgment call on what you're going to do for dinner, for lunch. Like you're thinking through it. You're, we could do this, we could do that. We're weighing the options and then there's this and then there's that. And you're trying to make a judgment how to feed your face when you leave here. I get that, right? And you're going to make that judgment and you may make it without the partnership of your spouse and they're going to have to submit to you because this is what I committed to do and this is what we're doing. Or your spouse may not agree and now you've got to fight. Right? Because you judged wrongly. Or you didn't invite any other options but your option. Every day, we can't live in this world without making judgments. That's what we do. That's how we survive. That's how you get like, raised up. The reason you're not dead is because you had some parents that taught you how to judge things. Like the difference between bleach and water. Praise God for your family. They didn't say, hey, cabinet's open, drink whatever bottle's in there, you'll be fine. They, they taught you how to judge what was right and good. And when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys remember this, Mr. Yuck, the Mr. Yuck stickers, they were green stickers and they had an ugly face on them and parents were supposed to put these stickers on anything that was bad for you. And if you saw the Mr. Yuck sticker, you're like, ooh, yuck, right? But our tendency is we see the Mr. Yuck sticker and say, I don't know if that's yucky or not, I haven't tried it yet, Right? And, and my parents had these stickers. We had Mr. Yuck stickers everywhere because my dad was an EMT and so he did that to help other fans. Like, so he modeled. and So there's Mr. Yuck everywhere. Listen, the Bible is actually a lot of things that tell us what's yucky. God's like, you live in a yucky world. It, it's yucky. Now there's some great things in this world, but there's a lot of Mr. Yuck stickers that God puts on things. And we have a choice, right? Whether we want to try it to our own peril and make our own judgment call or believe what God has said or believe what my parents have said that when that Mr. Yuck sticker's on there, don't touch it. It's off limits. And if you do, it will cause you harm. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in Luke. And you got to remember that what we're diving into is that the intro to Luke, the first four chapters of Luke is basically God, Jesus is coming. It just tells us that there's a Messiah coming and then he comes, he's born into the world. And then that, that takes about 30 years. The first four chapters of Luke is 30 years of Jesus' life. Then in chapter 5 to where we find ourselves today, which is chapter 12, okay? From chapter 5 un, until like chapter 
1920, somewhere along in there, is six months. Six months. So we've been teaching the last few months and going through like this is the six-month period of Jesus' life where he's decided to head towards Jerusalem. It's his Galilean ministry. And then the journey to Jerusalem happens after, I'm sorry, the Galilean ministry is two years. So from chapter 4, my bad, through chapter 9, it's two years. Then starting in chapter 10 through about chapter 19, it's six months. And that's where we're at right now in that six-month period. And then you get the end of the book, and it's like eight days. Chapter 24 is like eight days of Jesus' life and then 40 days of him waiting before the ascension in the book of Acts. So you've got this chunk of time of Jesus' life, like 30 years. Then you've got two years of his Galilean ministry that's just a few chapters. And then Luke, listen, takes all the time in the world to be sure that when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, think about this. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And everybody, including his disciples, believe. That's why he's got a big crowd around him. That him traveling to Jerusalem means it's judgment time. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow Herod. He's going to overthrow Pilate. We're going to all sit on thrones. Remember the disciples argued about who was the greatest a couple of weeks ago? Because they're thinking, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to sit on thrones. We're going to judge people. This is what we've been here for. All right, here we go. We've been two years. Now it's time. And Jesus is systematically teaching, and Luke is teaching us very carefully, saying, don't expect what you think is coming. You better get your head around what's true about what God has said. And so then we dive in. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend. He said to him, no, he didn't judge him, he just called him friend, he said to me. Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? How do you think that I have the right to judge? And then he says, he told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed. Because one's life is not the abundance of stuff, of his things, of possessions. And so here you have Jesus, and someone comes up to him, and there's a dispute in the family. There's a legal dispute. And if you know anything about the Jews, inheritance was important. Because they believed they were going to what? Inherit the land, inherit the world, and that the 12 tribes would be stationed around Jerusalem when Messiah would come, and they would get back the plot of land that God promised to Abraham and to Jacob and to his 12 sons. You can read about that in the Old Testament. The Revelation says that's going to happen someday. That when Christ comes back and he brings Jerusalem from heaven to earth, the 12 tribes of Israel will get their allotted land. The rest of the world is there too. Like we're going to be able to inhabit the earth and worship God, but we're going to celebrate that God is being fulfilling in all of his promises to every promise and everyone he's ever made at that moment. It's going to be beautiful. And so when he's arguing about inheritance, the reason the guy's asking the question is because he believes Jesus is going back to Jerusalem and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going, wait a minute, if he goes back to establish his kingdom, I need to be sure my land rights are in order so that I can get the land that my family line, whatever family line, whether it was Judah or Levi or one of the 12 sons, I can get my land back. Because if you remember, they could loan and buy land, but when the year of Jubilee came, they were required to give the land back to whoever was the rightful owner and inheritor of that land. Jews never did that. They never once practiced the year of Jubilee that we know of in their history and gave back the land. 
Not once, even though God commanded it. Because it was too costly. Because they loved their possessions. And so this young man is coming and he's saying, now if you're going back to your kingdom, you're going to establish your kingdom. I just need to be sure I get mine. I need to be sure I'm in with you, that I get what I, what I deserve and what God promised me. And there's so many teachers out there today who will tell you to claim God's promises for your life. And then when you, we look at what Jesus teaches about the promises he gives in the new covenant, we don't like those promises. And that's what we're going to look at as we break this down because that's exactly how Jesus breaks it down. He looks at this young man and he says, who do you think I am that I have the ability to give it? So it's a loaded question. Do you really believe I'm God? Do you really believe I'm the Messiah? And then he goes on and he says, and if you do, why are you worried about your possessions? Don't worry about it. Why are you so worried about stuff? If I'm really the Messiah, you should be worshiping me right now. You should be like, what, what do you want me to do? Not asking me to give you stuff, not giving me demands. You should be at my feet saying, what should I do if you're going into your kingdom? Just tell me, I'll do it. Do you want me to give everything I have away? Because Jesus, numerous times now in teaching in his ministry, has told people, and he's going to say it again here in a minute, give everything away to the poor and come and follow me. He says this multiple times in all of his gospels. And that is, the mo that, that is just as offensive today as it, as it was back then to say that. That God might want you to give everything you own away and just trust him. And we go, no, not me. That's the other guy. That's, that's him over there. I, he would never ask me because I got my life figured out. I'm waiting for my inheritance. My retirement's going to pay off. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying God is calling you to give everything. But have you even given him the option? Are you just clinging and saying, I got my inheritance. I'm good just need a little more, make sure it's okay. So Jesus lays this out and he says, look, all greed. I love how he says that, all greed, because one's life is not the, about the abundance of his possessions. Listen, we are the most greedy people on the face of the planet. We've built an entire economic system on greed. We have Complete economic system with no accountability. Jeff Bezos, the guy that owns Amazon, right? Just recently, he's, I think he's worth $120 billion, I think is his net worth right now, something like that. And he took over Whole Foods, and he went out on the side of the Democratic candidates just recently and said, hey, we need to provide free health care. We need to really take care of workers. We need to do all this stuff. And just this week, decided to cut all the health benefits for all his Whole Food workers that are part-time. So in our culture, it's all about, well, this is a great idea, but I don't want it to cost me. i got to look at my bottom line. See, all greed. We're, we're greedy if we're really honest. We're not thinking about other people when I do most things. When I go to the freezer to get my ice cream, I don't think if anybody else is going to want some. And if I do think about that often, there's like a little bit left, and somebody opens it and goes, Seriously? Who left this in the carton? Are you serious? Like, there's not even a scoop here. And I'm like, I just don't say anything. And in my house, when dad doesn't say anything, they know who's guilty, right? You did it, dad, because you didn't say you didn't. <laughs> and if it wasn't you, you would have said, not me. I mean, this is who we are, right? And occasionally, we have a good moment. 
But then we go right back. And so Jesus is telling them, friend, listen, life is not about the abundance of things. And can I tell you, we live in a culture that's killing us. Because we are so worried and so anxious and so depressed. Why? Because we're not getting what we think we deserve. And it's ruining us. Because it's like, I look at that Facebook post, I look at that fame, I look at what they have, I look at what they have, I look at what they don't have to do, and God asked me to do, and I look around, and I just, it causes me so much anxiety to try to get to that level, to keep it, or depression, because I'm like, I just can't, and it just ruins us, and we wonder why we're on psychological medications, and why we take painkillers, and all this stuff is because we believed a lie, and Jesus is combating this. In this passage, and it's not fun. I'll just be honest with you. He is judging here. He's like, I'll show you what a judge does. So he lays this out. Then he told them a parable. I love this. Whenever Jesus wants to give a hard teaching, he always gives a parable, right, to kind of disguise it. So we're all walking away going, well, that's, I'm going to have to think about that a while, right? Instead of just telling you what to do, Mr. Yuck Sticker, he gives you a parable about the bleach. Like, that's what I do in my house. Like, dad just doesn't tell us. He, like, gives us this story. Like, dad didn't ask for a story. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Well, now let me tell you a story, right? It's like, oh, I just won't ask. That's what Jesus does. And he says, a rich man's land was very productive. Well, that means God loves him. That means he's walking with God because there's no other way to be rich and be productive if, if God doesn't love you. I mean, obviously God wants what's best for you. So man, this guy... Yeah, so all the disciples hearing this would have said, okay, he's rich and productive, his land is producing, and the Bible says if you honor God, the land will produce. So obviously this guy, he's good. He goes on, he says, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I got so much stuff. Have you ever driven around Bloomington and the surrounding area? And looked at how many storage units there are in this town. Most of the people that have storage units also have barns on their property to put stuff in. Like maybe little barns, like little sheds. And it's not enough. So they get a storage unit for their stuff that they have to pay. There's a whole series I think it's on Discovery Channel, the Storage Wars, where they buy storage units because people die or they don't claim them. And there's like a whole industry buying stuff and reselling it. He goes on, he says, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and big builder, uh, sorry, and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. This is the American dream. I got to be sure I save for my retirement so when I hit 65, I can travel. I can, I can eat, drink, and take it easy because that shows that God was with me all those years, that I've done the right thing with my money, that I've honored him. That, that's what I'm supposed to be about. That's what Dave Ramsey says is godly right there. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But how do we judge? Because that's not a good judgment because you're going to see what happens to this guy and it's not good. Because it goes on and it says, but God said to him, you fool. Okay, that's very offensive. To call someone a fool is very offensive. Proverbs says to call someone a fool, don't do it unless it's really true. 
because it's offensive and you shouldn't say it unless it's absolutely true. God says you're a fool. Everybody at this point would have been like, no, he's not. He, he's managed his land well. He, he's doing well financially. He's he saved up. He, he probably goes to synagogue and gives. And like he made a wise decision to build bigger barns and tear down the old ones because we don't like maintenance either, right? I don't want to maintain things. I just want to buy new. We live in a throwaway culture. Don't maintain it. Don't fix it. Just buy new. He goes on and he says, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. And then he says, this very night, your life is demanded of you. You got all these great plans. But have you even asked me? Have you even come to the judge to ask the judge what you should do with your life? You've got all these plans running around in your head. Have you asked me what the plan for your life should be? How about this? Are you doing the simple plans that you know God has already asked you to do? Like work, like give, like stay out of debt, like take care of people. Like, are you doing simple things that he's asked you to do? Because it's hard to figure out a bigger plan if you're not doing little plans, right? It's hard to finish a project when it's the night before and it's a very big project and you've done nothing for the project for two weeks, right? Really difficult to finish. Why? Because you weren't preparing to finish the project. You weren't following a plan to get it done. You were doing everything you wanted to do and then you went, uh-oh, I got a project due. And now you're scrambling, and you're anxious, and you're staying up all night, and you're eating junk, and you're drinking caffeine to try to survive the stupidity that you practice. He goes on and he says, and these things you have prepared, whose will they be? Remember, Jesus is telling a parable in light of what this young man asked him. Whose stuff's this going to be when you kick the bucket? You're not going to get any say. Then he goes on and he says, that's how it will be with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So many of us are running around and when we look at people's lives, we don't ask the question, are they rich in God? We just want to know, are they rich? Because that proves something. No, it doesn't. Listen. I, I, I brag about my parents a lot. They're sinners. They've done awful things to each other. I've seen it in their recliners going back and forth at each other. Okay? I mean, they have a dog that I think is possessed, just saying, that they need to get rid of, but they still have him. His name's Spot. He has a spot. Dog is, ugh. anyway. Th this is my parents. But my parents have lived this. They have lived the opposite of this guy. They have lived, and when they come to the end of their life, I know there's no inheritance for me. I hope we have enough to bury him. My dad's like, just cremate me. God's giving me a new body anyway. <laughs> it's cheaper. They are, my dad turns 80. I'm thinking about this. He turns 80 this January. And he's still running a food kitchen and writing grants and taking care of people. And my mom's still playing for funerals and weddings. She's giving a piano lesson to three generations of piano lessons. There's a third family called, would you teach my daughter piano? No, I don't want to, but okay, I will. She charges $10 still for a piano lesson. 
A half hour lesson is $10. Do you know how cheap that is? I'm like, Mom, you can make more. She's like, I don't want to make more. I just want to teach piano. But I need some skin in the game for them to, you know, show up. Like, they're old. They're tired. My dad's foot all the time is giving him problems. If he gets a cut, he bleeds and bleeds, has to go because he's on thinner, blood thinner. I mean, they're a wreck. And they still are looking to God. They're still looking to store up treasures to others and to heaven, not to themselves. When you walk in their house, my dad painted his house. They repainted their house about six years ago. My dad said, well, this is the last time I'll have to do this. I'll be dead, thank goodness. Guess what they got to do this, like, last month? They got to have somebody come in there paint their house again. My dad's like, he kept me alive. Just like, paint that, that stupid house painted again. I mean... I look at that, and, and, and there's a part of me that goes, I don't want that. <laughs> there's a part of me that looks like, I, don't, I want just a little above that. <laughs> just a little bit better than that. Not worse. But then I look at the richness of my parents and their name and the community and who they are and the lives they've impacted. And my mom's still impacting kids by teaching them piano. And I'm just like, I hope I'm there. I hope God gives me enough life to do that. And that's exactly what he's saying in this passage. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about the body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Is it? Because I thought that was kind of really important, food and like clothing. Clothing including like a house, shelter. Like if you're seeing this, you're going, actually Jesus, kind of life really is about trying to eat and clothe yourself. Like that's kind of basic one like thing 101. It's like, no, life's more than that. Okay, then he goes on, he says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? See, now Jesus looks and says, look, this young man who asked for an inheritance, the reason he asked for it is because he doesn't understand all that he already has. He doesn't understand his full worth with God, so he's still looking to get more. Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, you're worth more than that. You're worth more than just some earthly inheritance. Can any of you add a cubit to his height by worrying? Like, this is hilarious, right? I want to be six inches tall. Six more, six more inches. I just, come on, I can be six five. Uh, not, you can't do that. Like, and he says, that's as useless as worrying. Worrying is that. Like, why are you, why are you worrying? Now, there's a difference between having a, a compassion, having empathy, praying to God on others' behalf. But be honest, most of the time we're worrying because it's how it's going to affect us, not because we so deeply care for the other person. And Jesus is laying this out and he says, if then you're not able to do even a little thing, <laughs> add to your height, like, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildfires wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, thread. Yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned in one of these. Remember, they believe Jesus is going back to Jerusalem to overthrow and rebuild the temple of Solomon and, and they will be in their glory. And Jesus says, that's pointless. What's mo I mean, look at the wildflowers. They're way more beautiful than what you think I'm getting ready to go back and do in Jerusalem. That would have blown them away. They'd be like, no, they're not. They're not... Solomon's temple was awesome. Yeah, it was an awesome work of the effort of man. Let me repeat that. Solomon's temple was a great work of the effort of man. You can even argue scripturally that Solomon shouldn't have built it. 
There's an argument to be made in Scripture that Solomon wasn't supposed to build a temple. Because God said, I will build a temple through one of your sons to David. David interpreted that Solomon will do it because God said Solomon will be the son that is king. And so then they leveraged all of their possessions. And that's why Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes and says, I'm miserable. I've had everything my heart could ever want and I'm absolutely miserable and I feel like life is completely meaningless. A guy that had 700 wives, 300 concubines, had peace in his empire. He had a temple that was full of jewels, gold, silver, everything. He was the most wise man to ever live other than Jesus himself. And when he came to the end, he realized it's all meaningless. Just fear God. It's exactly what Jesus is getting to in this moment. And then he says, If that's how God closed the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, that's also a reference to what's going to happen to us. We're in these bodies and they're going to burn, they're going to disappear, they're going to dissolve. He says, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? In other words, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in that inheritance, friend, young man? Or are you trusting that God has already given you everything and so you can just be a conduit to give to others? Don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. Yeah, easy to say, Jesus. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've had to endure. Really. Because he's getting ready to endure something you haven't had to endure. He's going to be turned on by everyone, including his own disciples, are going to turn his back on him, and they are going to crucify him for something he didn't do. Falsely accused, drugged through court, and dies. You haven't had that happen to you goes on and he says, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your father knows you need them. You want to know why I know our world seeks these things? It's called advertising. (laughs) Advertising tells us that we seek these things and they know how to push our buttons. They know what words and phrases to say and they spend billions to advertise. Billions, even trillions to do advertising because they know how to manipulate the human heart to get us to buy crap we don't need. It's true, or at least want stuff we don't need, right? And he goes on and he says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. I love that, because it's like, oh, good. So if I seek God, then he'll give me stuff. No, he doesn't say when it's going to be provided. He just says it will be provided. You don't get to determine when. I don't either. I don't get to look at God and say, I've been doing good things for six months. It's time for you to give me some. Hey, I've been doing good things for like 10 years. It's my turn. Hey, it's been 30 years. I've been a good guy. Give me some. We don't get to determine that. He goes on. He says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. He says, look, God wants to give you the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom you're expecting to get when I get to Jerusalem. It's it's better than that. It's better than an earthly kingdom where we have to slaughter people. You're not going to be a part of that process. You don't have to slaughter anybody. When Jesus comes back in Revelation, he's going to be on a horse, and it says his tongue is going to just be killing people. Like he's going to be annihilating people with judgment from his tongue. We're just going to be on horses going, yay, Jesus. We're not going to slay anybody. We don't have a sword. We're just going to have a robe, and we're just going to be cheering him on as he does everything. That's literally what Revelation says. We're not even going to be a part of it. He goes on, he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, 
an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now this young man's getting it. He's saying, your treasure is in your inheritance. You want what you think you deserve. Be ready for, for service and have your lamps lit. You must not be like people waiting for their master to return for the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. In other words, you're ready. You're living your life right now, not expecting, but saying, I have everything God would want me to have. I'm content. I know, if he wants to give me more, I'll use it for him. If he doesn't, that's fine. I'm content where I'm at. And Lord, I just, I'm ready for you. I'm ready. I'm going to live today ready. He goes on and he says, these slaves, the master will find alert when he comes, will be blessed. They'll be happy. Are you looking for happiness, he says? Then just do what the master asks. I assure you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. Look at this. He said the master's going to serve them. He teaches this and then in just a few months, he's going to go and he's going to have the last supper with the disciples. He's going to have the last supper with them and he's going to bring them in and they think that the next day they're going to overthrow the Romans. It's Passover. We're going to overthrow the Romans and he says, I'm going to die, but before I die, I have to serve you. And so he washes their feet. He bends down with a towel and washes their feet and Peter's like, no, Lord, don't do that. And he's like, I have to. I have to model to you, Peter, what it's going to be like in the future for you to give your life, to wash feet. And he says, if he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, those slaves, they'll be happy. They'll be like, yay! But know this, if the homeowner had not known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You know, it's kind of simple, Right? When I was a kid, I knew that I had certain chores that had to be done before mom and dad got home from work. Mom was always the first one home. Dad was always the second one home. Mom was always a little more merciful than dad was, okay? So I knew the game, right? I knew that I could get home, and I had like an hour, hour and a half before mom and dad got home. And I knew how long it took me to do my chores. Like I had it broken down. Oh, this is going to take me about, so I got to do this. Oh, it's about 15 minutes. I got 15. Okay. I'm going to sit down and watch Thundercats. That was my favorite show. I'd sit down and watch Thundercats. Anybody know what Thund Thundercats, Thundercats, oh, right, yeah, that's what. I'd sit down and watch Thundercats because it was on after school and I wanted to watch Thundercats. So I get off the bus, I come in, and it wasn't, oh, I'm home. I'm so grateful for this home my parents provided. Oh, look, the dishes, oh, those need to be put away for my mother when she gets home. I just want to please her. Oh, look, I need to sweep because dad made a mess last night with the chips in the chair. And I want to serve my dad and sweep up his chips for him. I just want to, no, I got home, I'm like, I want to watch Thundercats. And then it was like a mad rush, right? Because it's like, okay, 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 go last. And I gotta go. And then I'm under the dishwasher and I'm sweeping and I'm doing everything I can. And sometimes I wanted to do it just so that mom would walk in and I was doing it, right? And you'd be like, see, I'm sweeping. And my mom always saw right through it. She's like, you've been home for an hour. What are you doing? What'd you do when you got home? And my response wasn't, I watched Thundercats. My response was, well, mom, I'm doing. I'm doing this for you. I'm, I'm sweeping. Look, look at what I'm doing. I'm honoring you. Mom's like, don't give me that. I see right through. You are, you're like nine. I've been in this world a long time. I've done what you've done. I get it. That's what he's saying here. 
Jesus is saying, look, our heart is like that. We want to wait until the last minute to worship our God, to serve him, to give. We want to give him the leftovers. We don't want to give him the best. We don't want to be prepared so that, oh, hey, I'm done with my chores. I wonder what mom and dad might want me to do now that I'm done. Maybe dad might like it if I change the oil in the mower. Because he always does it for me, but I know how to do it. It'd probably be nice if I just served him, helped him out. He's a good guy. Provides a house and food for me. It's not our heart. We have such greedy, selfish hearts, and that's what Jesus is pointing to. And then he comes down and he says, Lord, Peter asked. I love this. Are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? <laughs> I love Peter. He just says what everybody's thinking, right? He's that guy, right? He just like, okay, I, I heard what you said, and that's really offensive, and you're calling us all, but I got to know, are you talking to me? Or is this like everybody? Like if we're all in this boat together, then I'm good with that. But if this is just, I got to know where we stand here. I love this. The Lord said, who then is faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants and give to them an allotted food at the proper time. Look, Jesus even says it. He says, you will get an allotted food at the proper time. I don't like allotted food at the proper time. I like ice cream at my time. That's what I like. Allotted food at the proper time means someone allotted what I should eat and how I should eat it, and then they told me when I should do it. I don't want to be told what I should eat and how I should eat it and when I should eat it. I want to eat ice cream at 9.30 at night when I'm on the couch watching a football game, and it's not good for me. It's going to go into my stomach. It's just going to add, like, pounds to me. I'm going to grow gradually. Like, that's what's going to happen, but that's what I want to do. I don't want to eat carrots and broccoli and potatoes at 5.30 and then not eat again until the next morning, which is best for my body. See, if this is who we are. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm trying to teach you something. You ask me if I'm a good judge. You ask me who judges. And then he says, look at this. That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. <laughs> then he answers the guy's question with, you don't own anything. <laughs> like, 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 the guy asks, can I get my inheritance? He's like, it, it, none of it's yours. <laughs> like, he'll put you in charge of his possessions. They're not your possessions. They're God's. The question was flawed from the beginning. You're asking about your stuff, and God says, it's not your stuff. It's all mine. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with just being a manager of my stuff? Or do you have to have your stuff? I mean, this challenges everything about our culture. He goes on, and he says, but that slave will say in his heart, my master is delaying and is coming. That's my parents. Delaying, they're not going to get home till 3.30. And starts to beat the male and female slaves and eat and drink and get drunk. Watch Thundercats, eat snacks on the couch. He goes on, and he says, that slave's master will come on a day he does not expect him. Mom got off early. Do, 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 right? At an hour, he does not know. He will cut him to pieces. My mom wouldn't do that. And assign him a place with the unbelievers. Jesus is saying, look, you better question your heart's motives deeply. Because you think you might know me and you might not. And I want to warn you before it's too late. And then he goes on and he says, and that slave who knew his master will and didn't prepare, or knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself for do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did these things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. 
This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you guys think I'm going back to Jerusalem to judge, to be the judge, to overthrow all the Gentiles, to reign in the world. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem, and it's going to be the final judgment for Israel. It's going to be that moment where you guys are going to reject me and there's going to be one more option at the moment of revelation, but you guys are going to reject me and it's going to be the moment where you guys deserve to be cut up and sent out. And I'm telling you that the Gentiles are going to have it better than you have it in the final judgment. That would have really ticked them off. Because Jesus is like, you've been given everything. You've, been, you've got the Bible, you've got all the truth, and you continue to ignore it. These people don't know. I'll be more patient with them. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much, and even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. Here's the question for you and I. Are we in, have you been entrusted or are you entrapped? Make a judgment call. Are you, have you really been entrusted with your stuff or are you entrapped by your stuff? That's a, that's a hard question. Because we want to say, look what God provided, look what God provided, and then it costs us so much to keep it. To do, do you really believe? Or are you entrapped by your life and what you've been entrusted? He says, I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze. Jesus is promoting more CO2 and climate change. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just saying. Like, he's like, this, the earth is going to, I wish I could set it ablaze. Jesus said, I am so sick of seeing injustice in the world. I wish I could be the judge you want me to be. I wish I could come and annihilate all of you and start over like we did with Moses. Or with Noah, I mean. I wish we could just annihilate you like the flood and start over, but I'm not going to. He goes on and he says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's talking about the baptism of judgment, the judgment on him. And how it consumes me until it's finished. Do you think that I came here to give peace to the earth? No. I thought Jesus was like the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. But in this earth, there's never peace without a war. There's never been peace without a war in human history. Never happened. There's never been peace. If you came to know Jesus, it probably came with a war first. You probably stood up in your pride and went to war with God and he put you in your place, and caused you to change. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting to. Do you think that I came here to give peace? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's saying, look, if you follow me, and you do what I ask you to do, it's going to challenge everyone around you. It's going to be painful for people around you. It's going to cost them. And they don't want that. But you have to give your life to me. You have to trust me with those relationships. You have to trust me that I can do what only I can do. He also said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the rest, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be a scorcher, and it is. That's what we do. We have apps on our phone that do this now, right? We don't even try to predict the weather. We're just like, I pull up my app, boom. And then we tell everyone who has the same app what they can look up, right? Well, the my app says, well, my app, I have a better app. And we argue about which app we're using. And well, my app, I, mine updated faster than your app, and so this is what's going to really happen. This is what we do. And he says, look at this, hypocrites, 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth. You know how to predict weather. You know how to look at radar and see spinning and, and that a tornado might be there in the sky. But why don't you know how to interpret this time? How can you not look at that and say, man, God save us. And then look at the world and say, this world is a place that continues to bring tornadoes and disaster. and God, we need you to save us. How can you not see that? I'm not coming to judge you. You've already been judged. The world's already under judgment. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to bring you hope. He goes on and he says, 2 Peter 3, this is how Peter puts it. Dear friends, this is how the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to develop a genuine understanding with a reminder. Remember, Peter was the one that asked the question earlier to Jesus. Now, this is when Peter writes, having seen Jesus' resurrection and been filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. I want to develop a genuine understanding within you and a reminder so you can remember the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. In other words, he says, I'm reminding you this is the whole Bible. This is what Peter's saying. I'm reminding you this is what the whole Bible says. All the apostles, all the prophets, everybody. Like I'm reminding you. Please be reminded of this. He says, at the command of our Lord and Savior given through the apostles, first be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff and live according to their own desires, their own greed. They will willfully ignore this. And the this he says they're going to willfully ignore is that there's actually judgment. That there is a fire coming, that death is going to come, and there's a real hell, and there's a real heaven, and it's going to be awful for people who don't know me. That's what Peter says. That's the first thing they'll scoff at. You're judgmental. Who do you, who do you think you are to be a judge? I'm not a judge. Jesus is. And Jesus says, if you don't know him, you're cursed. You have no hope. That, that's not me saying that. That's what the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus said. And I'm not trying to, to tell you, I'm just, and, and you should know this because the world doesn't end well. Like, I don't know what you're expecting to get, but it doesn't end well. He goes on and he says, by the same word they present, the present heavens and earth are stored up for a fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Jesus says there's coming a judgment. That's what he just said. I wish I could bring the judgment, but it's not time to do that. It's time for me to take on the baptism of the judgment, to take your judgment you deserve first before I come back again. And Peter's like, this is what our Lord told us. Then he says, he goes on and he says this. Um, sorry, I'm all over the place. Jesus goes on and he, uh, Peter goes on. He says, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like the day. The Lord does not delay in his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you. Well, if God's so judgmental and if it's coming, I mean, it seems like things are getting better. I mean, economy's doing well and unemployment's at an all-time low and stocks are doing pretty decent. Like, it, it seems like things are going well. I mean, I can't believe that God's going to come back and judge. I mean, it seems like we've figured some things out and we're, we're doing better for ourselves. And he goes on, he says, don't think God is delaying because you're doing well. Remember, that's why the guy asked about the inheritance. That's what, they, that's what Jesus is challenging. He told the story about the guy building the barns. Don't think that God is delaying because you're doing well. He's delaying because he cares about people and he doesn't want anyone to perish and he wants you to tell them that message. 
And he wants you to use your resources to tell them that message. That's why he's, he's not delaying because like you're holding it back. Like you're that powerful. Like I'm so awesome. Okay. No. He's doing it because he cares about the people that don't know him. And then he says, look at this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Be dissolved, be disclosed. It is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. In other words, it's clear how you should act as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming day of the Lord. Do you earnestly desire the coming day of the Lord? Most people earnestly desire to pay off their mortgage. To, to some other thing. It's not wrong to pay off your mortgage. It's a good idea. But do you desire God's coming more than anything else? Most people desire retirement. They desire to have children. They desire all these things. None of them are bad. But do you desire the Lord to come back? I've heard parents say, I hope I can just raise my children a little while before the Lord comes back. And I'm like, what? Why? I don't, I don't understand that mentality. I want him to come back, but I recognize if he doesn't, then I have a responsibility today to pick up my cross and tell people about him. And that includes my child. He goes on and he says, as you wait, we wait for the new heavens and new earth where the right thing will dwell. In other words, judgments here are always tainted, but there's coming a day when the right judgment will always be made when Jesus comes back and makes everything right on a new earth in a new way in new bodies that last forever. Jesus goes on to say it this way. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Who appointed Jesus judge? He did, the God of the universe. Jesus just appointed you a judge right here. You've been appointed to be a judge. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? You better know what God says is right. You better know his word. You better understand it so you can make right judgments in a world that's broken, in a world that's cursed. He says, are you going with your adversary to the ruler to make an effort to settle with him on the way? Do you look to try to tell people? Or are you like, I just can't wait till those Gentiles, till we get to Jesus, we get to Jerusalem, and then we get to kill Herod, and we get to put Pilate in his place, and we get to overthrow those stupid Romans. Man, I can't wait. I just, I'm waiting. Jesus is like, no, you should be trying to get them to repent on the way. He says, then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last cent. Jesus looks at him and he says, look, what are you, what are you trying to settle? Are you really trying to settle accounts with the God of the universe for eternity? Or are you just trying to settle temporary accounts to your benefit? That's what he's saying here. And he goes, judge for yourselves what's right. We should be getting people to get with the God of the universe and believe him in what he says is right. 1 Corinthians says this about judgment. Don't you know that we will judge the angels? Not to mention ordinary matters, Paul says. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, at the final judgment, when the judgment comes, we will be, believers, saints, will be the ones who will judge the demonic angels who went with Satan and went away from him, and we will judge them. We, we will say, no, they need to be sent to hell. They, they rejected you. We will judge the angels. Why? Because we already judged ourselves on Christ. And when we placed our judgment on Christ, we're not judging saying, get them. We're saying, they don't have you. If they don't have you, I know what would have happened to me if I didn't have you. And so they're judged. 
And he says, not to mention ordinary matters, we should be people looking to judge rightly. So if you have cases pertaining to life, do you select those who have no standing in the church to judge? This is what we do today. We love to run to the courts to figure things out, but we won't stay in a church for months to figure things out. We just run. The second I feel judged, the second you tell me to, I'm out of here. How dare you tell me? I'll go to the church down the street that won't challenge me. You're judging me. Well, maybe we did. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe I judged you. Maybe I need to repent. You need to bring some people to challenge me of what I saw in your life. I'm more than willing to have that conversation. I've never gotten to that conversation with people because the second they feel judged, they run. Every time. And if they don't run, I have had the opportunity to walk with people through it. And that is hard. It's really hard. And then he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's not one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between his brothers? You have to run to the courts all the time? You, there's no one you trust? There's no one you'll just sit down with and have a conversation and say, I, I believe that's what God's word says. Thank you for showing me God's word. I appreciate that. I'm struggling. Thank you for praying for me. Th thank you for helping me. He goes on and he says, instead, believers go to court against believer, and that before unbelievers. You'll let an unbeliever decide. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You used to be like this. Praise God, you're not anymore. Yeah! You're not the kind of people that are looking to get everybody. You're the kind of people that understood you've already been got by God. And so I just want to tell people about how great God is and the judgment that's coming if they don't know that. Luke says, at that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the Galileans because they suffered the, these things? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So he's looking and they say, oh, these Galileans must have done something really bad because for God to let their blood be mixed with the sacrifices, he must have been really upset with them because God wouldn't let that happen to me because I've been good. I've been a good guy. Jesus is like, what, why are you even bringing this up to me? Pilate's an idiot. <laughs> like, he's going to kill me soon. You know, he looks and he says, no. We all need to repent, he said. You all need to repent. Or those that in the tower of Siloam fell on and killed. Do you think they were more sinful than all the people who lived in Jerusalem? This was an event that happened recently. This is like taking a news article. Jesus pulls a news article and he says, look, you see this news article? This is what this means. He says, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. You've got this all wrong. You're asking me about inheritances. Peter's saying, is this message for me or for somebody else? You guys are constantly looking out and Jesus says, you gotta look in. Look into your heart and ask yourself, what does God say I need? Do I really believe in him? Do I really trust him? Sure, it look, I might look like I have great barns, but am I, am I a fool? He looks and he says, look, you guys are bringing this stuff to me and saying, look, these people, they, they had a bad, no, it's, it's bad for all of us. The question is, what are you gonna do? And then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit. So picture the scene. Fig tree, produces figs, it's fruit, it's good stuff. You like fig newtons? Fig tree. You don't like fig newtons? Too bad. Okay, so he says, he came along looking for fruit on it and found no fruit, right? So it's, it's harvest time, 
There should be fruit on it. He comes and he goes, well, that's strange. This tree doesn't have any fruit. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. How long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a third years. Jesus is saying, for the last three years, I've been looking for fruit. And I haven't seen any. Not much in Israel. But he replied to them, sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will bear fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the mercy and grace of our God. Jesus says, you know that the best, it would be great to cut that tree down and use it for firewood to warm your house because we're moving from fall into winter. <laughs> and the heart of the worker, the heart of Jesus with his heavenly father right now in heaven is he's holding back the wrath of the father on our behalf. Hebrews says he is holding back the heavenly father's wrath and saying, not yet. They're, they're changing, not, not yet. Not yet. And that the Trinity agrees with one another and they're in heaven and it's not time yet. Why? Because they're st he's still cutting around people's foundations and trying to get them, you and me, to, to see who he is and make him known to the world, to produce fruit. And not the fruit that perishes, not the fruit that I big build, uh, build bigger barns for, fruit that's eternal. And Jesus comes to the end of this parable and he wraps it up and he says, look, he says, the judgment that you make who appointed me judge? God the Father. And Jesus is in heaven holding back the judgment because he cares about us that none would perish but all that would come to repentance. And he's still digging around in your life. He's digging around in the, the people you know. He's digging in their lives saying, I don't want them dead. I'm not going to Jerusalem to overthrow them, kill them, and throw their souls into hell. That's not what I'm getting ready to do. I'm getting ready to die for them. Now the question is, will we? Will we lay down our life? And listen, lay down life means also telling the truth. And the truth is hard. And people don't want to hear it. That's why Jesus gets crucified in just a few months. is because he's laying out this truth. And they're all going, I don't think you're the Messiah we want. I don't think you're the one. We thought you were the one. But this old, not anymore. And we can be the exact same way. You know, when I committed my life to Christ, I thought this was what I was going to get. I thought it was going to get better. I thought this was going to happen. I thought this was going to happen. And, this is, and I've been going to church, and I've been a good person. I've been tithing. I've, I've been doing all these things, God. Where are you? God's like, I've always, I'm where I've always been. I'm in your heart if you know me. I love you. He looks and he says, I haven't cut you down yet. I'm not done with you. I love you. I've got work for you to do. I've got lives for you to impact. I've got things that I want to show you about myself. Like, I'm not done with you yet. That is a beautiful message after Jesus just lays all this out. He gives this beautiful message of I love you and I want to see you restored. And I am a judge. And I've asked you to make righteous judgments. But just... But we're the same way. Look, I could do this to you, but I don't because I love you. We looked at that video last week and the picture of judgment and mercy that happened in that video last week. 
with that young man whose, whose brother was killed and this, this woman who killed him unjustly and, and he asked for forgiveness and told her she needed to know Jesus and the, the judge who's still taking heat for it came out of her chambers to give this woman a Bible to pray with her and say, you need to do what he just said you need to do and trust Christ. And now she's being threatening to disbar her. We need more of that. We need more judges that will take a stand like that in their faith that won't cower, that'll look and say, look, I hope you'll allow God to dig around your life where you're in prison the next 10 years and fertilize you and bring in his Holy Spirit because of your surrender to Jesus. Listen, that's exactly why we celebrate communion. Communion is the picture of judgment. It is the blood and it is the body of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And whenever blood or flesh get cut up, remember he said, I'll cut it into pieces and send it out. Isn't it interesting that God says, here's the judgment that I'm telling you is coming. And here's the judgment I took for you, that my body is the pieces being cut for the world for their forgiveness. God doesn't do anything to us that he isn't willing to take himself. And there is no other religion, not one on the face of the planet that presents a God like that. Not one. So either we're crazy or it's real. And if it's real, it should change us. Communion is that moment. This is the time of year where we talked the last couple of weeks where it's Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, that leads to Yom Kippur when they would blow the horns. And when Peter prophesied in what we just read in 2 Peter 3, he said, the trumpet will blow and then the end will come. That's Rosh Hashanah. And there will be days of awe. There's days of awe that lead up to the final atonement that Christ gives for humanity. And then after the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, there's tabernacles. There's a time of celebrating, being intense, and believing God is going to come and be with us. Listen. Jesus Christ says that there's a world that needs to hear the trumpet blast. They need to know that there's an end coming, and they also need to know there is a God who made atonement for them. He covered over their sin if they'll let him. And, they, and then they need to know that the reason he did that is because he genuinely wants to be with you. He genuinely wants a relationship with you. And he's, he's been patient with you, digging the soil, trying to get you to produce something that's not like this world. It's otherworldly. It's a fruit that will last for eternity that's this message that's communion and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ you can take communion believing and saying God I know that this body is broken because of what you did I don't deserve it I don't deserve this blood you shed but I know that you did it and I know that I'm trusting in that and that is my hope and that is my future and so I take this trusting in you not believing it gets me any better with you not saying well I've taken communion so now I'm good nope communion is just saying God I so want you I recognize that you blew a trumpet I recognize that you made atonement and so I am going to take this and believe that you want to be with me you want to tabernacle with me Oh, the Jews have been celebrating that for thousands of years and missing their Messiah. As you celebrate communion, don't miss the Messiah. Don't be like the people of Jesus' day in this generation that missed him because they already had an idea of who he was and what they wanted. And they crucified him when he finally showed who he truly was.